Welcome to Around the ACL. It's me, Mish, Michelle Thompson here. I am joined, of course, by Anthony Ione and Trey Ryder. And we are coming off of a very full weekend of cornhole. Trey just informed me that it was the biggest open. Is that correct? Biggest ever. Ever. Biggest ever. Let's ever. go. <laughs> so that is super exciting. And obviously, we'll dive into each thing, but that final singles match being just absolutely insane. So can't wait to get into it. And I have to tell you, I was watching all of this. This is how dedicated I am to the sport, you guys. I'm watching this on my phone as I'm cooking for this Hanukkah party I was having. So I'm like sitting at the stove with my phone watching cornhole, just trying to get it all in because there's so much good stuff. So how was the weekend for you guys? I know you were there, Trey. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it was uh, it was incredible to see. First time I got to kind of see and watch and be a spectator, which was fun. Um, I haven't been a spectator of an event in a long time. So that was like a really big treat for me um, to, to be able to do that. But it was, it was a ton of fun. And then I kind of drove home on singles day. So I mostly listened to it on my way home, um, which is which is cool. Cornhole played better on the radio than I thought it would. That's good to know. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> How about you? I Anthony? heard Anthony didn't get any sleep though. Anthony's uh, running on very low sleep. I'm hurting. I'm hurting. <clears throat> yeah. So me and the me and the family <laughs> went out to Miami for a wedding all weekend. So <clears throat> uh, it's the first time, you know, like uh, you know, I'm an on time guy. I like everybody to be on time. You know, here's our departure time. We got to be here. Respect the times. It's the first time where I was like cramming cornhole like i'm ready to go you guys take your time don't worry if we're a little late i'm gonna watch some games over here in the corner uh in line for boat rides and you know all kinds of stuff i'm just cramming games in everywhere i possibly could so it was it was a fun weekend but our flight ended up getting delayed took off uh almost 2 a.m from miami hours ago so last i guess this morning and then we landed at like six o'clock this morning so slept for a couple minutes into the office for work and then here here with everybody today so let's go oh, anthony saying he's an on-time guy is the least surprising thing i've ever heard 100 <laughs> percent. i think if you pulled our entire audience they would have 100 percent said yeah that sounds right yeah, yeah that's that's on brand that's on brand oh. <laughs> right all right let's get into this weekend so uh, we had our level one doubles champs, which was James Baldwin and Cheyenne Renner. I mean, Cheyenne Renner he was everywhere, <laughs> clearly. Um, but man, that was that was crazy. So what did you guys think of that match? Did you get to squeeze that one in, Anthony? Could you see that one? Yeah, are we talking about <clears throat> women's singles or what specifically, Mish? The doubles champs. So James Baldwin, Cheyenne Renner, when they won. Yeah, yeah, real excited about that one. I mean, uh, Renner and Baldwin getting it done, right? And um, a big win for the new team, you know, and what should be a good confidence builder for Renner and Baldwin with Renner picking up the other half of that reigning world's doubles championship team. Um, that was one of my, I was a solo, uh, a solo pick for them in the top 10. It kind of, that performance validated themselves and that pick as a worthy go. So, I mean, I expect them to maintain top 10 position throughout the season. Now, Trey, you said, I don't remember which episode it was, that this team would thrive if Cheyenne Renner could hold them until James Baldwin turned into James Baldwin. So is that what you saw happen? 100%. 100%. And Cheyenne Renner was... Cheyenne Renner was the single most impressive player on the weekend. And I, I, and I say that with 
what we're going to talk about with Alex Hicks. I say <laughs> that what we're going to talk about with Matt Guy. I say all of that. Cheyenne Renner was the single most impressive person on the weekend. Um, she was unbelievable. And she did exactly. Here's what's scary about that team. James Baldwin didn't even need to get in that zone, right? Normally when I saw him and Jordan Camba dominate like they have in the past, it was because James Baldwin was outrageous. He was pretty good, right? But the combination of them, they were just timely, back and forth, played well when they needed to. I mean, it was just a, a true team effort, and it's just – it should be scary watching that team do as well as they did this weekend because I still think they have a ton of potential to grow. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you alluded to this, but the singles champ, Alex Hicks, the 12-year-old. I can't tell you how excited my son was that a kid won, by the way. He just thought that was the coolest thing ever. Uh, and, and I was telling Whitney, like, what a great role model for kids, Alex Hicks. I mean, that match with Matt Guy was – I mean, we'll never, I don't think we'll ever forget that match in the history of Cornell. Insane. What are your thoughts there? Well, for, I'll let Anthony go first because he's the, he's the, uh, he's the 12 year old fan and, club over there. Yeah. The, the head of the Alex Hicks fan club. Let's hear it. All right. I got two words for you. Baby goat. Yeah. Baby goat. And the headliner is going to read baby goat versus the goat. So. <laughs> Uh, you know, just kind of leading into anybody who missed that finals match between Alex Hicks and Matt Guy. I mean, get on the ACLDN right after the show and watch this bad boy. The best match I've seen to date. It now trumps the 2020 final chase match between Wooten and Graham. And we've got that Birch Rawls match last season out in Cali. It was absolutely insanity. So like you said, Trey, I've been saying all year, we're going to see a 12 year old on a linear broadcast this year. Alex Hicks is why. I mean, the kid is special. He's the truth. So if we kind of break that match down, because I think it's worthy of just talking through the whole thing. It was, it was unreal. 47 rounds of play in an absolute marathon match. So, I mean, Trey, maybe you'll know, but if we kind of look at what an average match would be, I, I, my gut tells me we're somewhere between like 15 and 20 rounds yep. in a, uh, in, in a pro, in a pro level match. I mean, do, do you yep. kind of get a feel of where we would kind of land on average. Yeah, yeah, about about 17. About 17. So we're talking almost three times what a normal match would play. And what made that extra special was the con the contrasting strategies at their best really put both baggers in a position to win that match. So Matt Guy's coming in with that whole chase game, and he's going to his airmail as his go-to. And then Hicks is going, hey, I'm, I'm not going to chase the hole with this guy. I'm going to come in with a block strategy in a role as his go-to. Go so Matt Guy's airmail was absolutely unconscious. I'm still in awe about his approach to the game, and no one else is really doing this, but he will airmail over a level one blocker on bag one through three. I mean, there's not yeah. many people in the league that could get away with that. He's obviously one of those, um, and, and kind of how it ended. I mean, if you had stay into this match all the way to the end because the way it ended was absolutely amazing. Round 45, the match is tied at 19s. So each individual strategy got them to tied at 19s. I and mean, that's all you can ask for. The strategies are working. The first mistake is gonna is gonna lose the game. Alex Hicks goes off the back on bag two in round 45. He's done, right? 
I mean, that guy had just come off of a run of, it was like eight, four baggers in a row, four bagger to win it. He places a perfectly placed push bag on the left side. The pushed bag goes in. The pushing bag actually goes right up to the hole, two feet in the water. And that's what you want. Two feet in the water, meaning two corners in the, in the hole. The bag typically falls in. It didn't. It stops right on the hole. That was the winning point. And what was awesome is you see the urgency from Alex Hicks, right? He goes, oh, crap, I got to run down there and get that bag right at that three-second mark. Uh, you know, you, you can, as long as it's not moving, at three seconds, you can pick up bags. At that three-second mark, he snatches that thing out of the way just to make, just to make sure nothing crazy happens and, and it falls in. Um, and then we get Hicks. So he's coming in with this block and roll strategy. Um, I love the strategy to not chase the hole with Matt Guy because we know Matt's going to dominate that. Um, John Funtis actually said it right before the match. I'm not going to go hole for hole with a Matt guy. And, and Hicks showed that he didn't want any part of that either. So he kept, he kept that block. And here's what's key about his block game. And, and everybody keep this in mind. You have to keep your block deep enough yeah. to be able to beat a guy like Matt guy, which we call level one to level two. So if you stack bags from the hole all the way to the bottom of the board, there's three feet of space there. If you line bags kind of in like a vertical tick-tock, tic-tac-toe format, you'll get six bags. So level one at the hole, level six all the way at the bottom. He consistently placed his bag right up by the hole in a one or a two, which is key because it's going to allow him to go collect it or push it on that bag four. And if you don't, that guy is going to score on you. And that's where really where he excelled. So in that final round, Hicks is down 20 to 19. He drops a perfect level one block, which had been his workhorse the whole game. It kicks Matt guy. Matt kind of kind of deflects out to the right four bagger to win it now for Hicks, and he goes and gets it. So unbelievable. So kind of check some of these numbers out. We talked about 47 rounds of play and both players knocking on the door of 11, 11 PPRs. They were at high 10.8s, 25 washes is really what pushed that thing into a marathon. Round 23 through 35 was absolutely ludicrous. Matt guy goes on a 51 bag in a row run and only gets Four points out of it. I mean, th that just shows how how close Hicks was. Hicks is sixty percent plus four baggers, which is absolutely bananas because he's placing that first bag block. He's going with that first bag block mentality. And then, so here's here's really what it gets down to when we get to DPRs: one hundred and eighty-eight bags thrown per player. In one hundred and eighty-eight bags, Matt Guy scores five hundred and eleven points. Hicks scores. One more point at 512 points. So when you look at the DPR, it equates to 0 0.02. Two hundredths of one point was the difference in that match. Absolutely bonkers. Now the world knows who Alex Hicks is and what he's capable of. What do you think, Trey? Mish, what do you think? I can't really follow that out. That's pretty I good know. analysis, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> No, I, I agree. I agree. The, it's what stands out to me is throwing 55 out of 56 bags in the hole and losing. That Bananas. guy threw at one point 55 bags out of 60 bags in the hole and lost the game. That's when, when Trey Birchfield tweeted out that he was frustrated yes. that he lost with an 11.0 PPR. Well, guess what? That guy can tweet something out too now. So, I was no just going to say that. Like, this sounds exactly like how do you lose with an 11 PPR? I mean, how do you lose? Now, Game one thing I will say, I love talking about Alex Hicks. Love it. I got to bring it back to my girl, Cheyenne Renner. And, and the reason I say this was she wins women's singles. 
honestly dominating fashion. Dominating fashion, in my opinion. Yeah. She did lose early to Allison Peters, yeah. but it was her worst game of the day, and Allison threw really well. Once she kind of dropped in that loser's bracket and clicked, she was unbe- unbeatable. Okay. She follows up in doubles, obviously wins doubles with James Baldwin. Then she goes into the next day and wins her singles bracket again. Okay. Matt Guy, Jamie Graham, and Cheyenne Renner, now in back to back opens, have won their singles bracket. That in itself, I think, is really, really impressive. But I would argue that part of the reason that she- I'm going to give Cheyenne an excuse, right? I'm going to do this for her because she won't do it, right? In that game, in her bracket final, I believe her first game was 36 rounds of a double dip. She then, she loses that game in 36 rounds to Bobby Hunt, non-pro, not well-known anywhere except in kind of the Southeast where he plays. Then follows up with game two, I believe, with 25 rounds in a game in which she won. She then turns around and plays Jamie Graham and then plays in another game in which she's in the high 20s as far as round goes. So she threw over a three-game span to end her day when you are the most fatigued, when you are the most mentally strained. She threw over 90 rounds in three games, which is a lot. In my mind, and she lost that game to Jamie Graham 21-18 to in a barn burner of a match. In my mind, if she gets a little bit better of a draw, if she gets a little bit of a, of an opponent that maybe doesn't literally just something like an Alex Hicks and that Matt guy had to experience, if she only has to under, uh, undergo that for one game, I think we maybe see Cheyenne Renner possibly get into the finals of that singles um, bracket. In the end, she did. She didn't, right? She had to play the matches as they played out. She got absolutely just, just fatigued by the end of that, that matchup. The boards were a little bit slower for her liking, so I know that contributed to as well. So I'm feeding her excuses. <laughs> but ultimately, I still think Cheyenne Renner, you know, I, I, I love saying this. I think Cheyenne Renner, Renner has entered the conversation as the best player in the world right now. She has entered that conversation, which I think is special for our sport. Right now, people are debating on social media if a 51-year-old man, a 12-year-old kid, and a 22-year-old female are the best athletes in a given sport in the world. And if that doesn't get you fired up about cornhole, I don't know what will. Yes, sir. I love that. That is the clip. Take that clip and use it somewhere, Trey. <laughs> well, I like Anthony's analysis better. We'll just take Anthony's analysis and put that out there. I mean, yeah, they're yeah, both, both clips. Both, both different audiences, right? The new audience is not going to really, uh, I think, go into the analysis as much as us cornhole uh, geeks out here. But uh, for someone who's not really into the sport, taking a clip like that, I mean, I think that says everything about the sport. Going into our senior singles champ, Damon Dennis, you know, Seniors. Seniors play this sport. Kids play this sport. I mean, it doesn't get any better. And there were some great matches over there on the senior side as well, as well as the pro-am. Yeah, quick comment on the seniors front. And it rolls into doubles a little bit too. One thing that was such a pleasure to watch this weekend that I got to see with my own eyes and experience and talk with was a healthy Jimmy McGuffin. Nice. He came in second place to Damon Dennis. Jimmy McGuffin is back. 
Let's he go. is the Jimmy McGuffin that I saw. And based on what I saw from Greg Geary, it totally makes sense now because Greg, for whatever reason, 100% feeds off of Jimmy. And I saw a different team. I saw 92% of the 2020 Greg and Jimmy that I saw way back then. And it was just special to watch. They were doing what they did best. And I just hope I see more of it. I love it. In the Pro-Am, we had Greg Vida and Jay Corley. And then for the advanced blind draw, we had Jordan Camba and Bob Vonch. Any last thoughts on that before we move into Morton's corner? Well, where, where was McCannon? Right? <laughs> what happened? What happened? Yeah, what did happen to Jason? Where's McCannon? I didn't even see the bracket. I didn't even think to look it up. Yeah, my hot takes, by the way, were garbage. This <laughs> Absolute garbage. I mean, I went through like all my predictions and I was like, nope. I was like, oh, for seven or whatever. It was terrible. I mean, you threw the guy a bone and he didn't do anything with it. He got an, an elite partner. Uh-huh. Come on, Jason. That's on him garbage. now. That's on him. <laughs> no pressure, Jason. All right, let's go ahead and bring Mike on for Morton's Corner to get into some more. Uh, you know, stats and, and cornhole nerdy stuff. What's up, Mike? Hey, guys. How we doing? Doing good. What's up, Mike? Awesome. What's up? Awesome. So uh, I think we might need to start calling this segment uh, Down the Rabbit Hole with Mike or something like that. Because <laughs> these, these stats can, can, can really take us in a variety of directions. So um, I, I've, got, uh, I've got one this week that we talk about all the time. Everyone in the cornhole community has talked about this. And to my knowledge, this is the first time anyone's ever done any analysis to see if it's really true or or where it lies. So the king and queen seat. How valuable is that? How often do we get to see that double dip, that, that double scoop? I know anecdotally, I have said numerous times that um, I think I see that a lot. The uh, the person in the king or queen seat sits and, and chills out, cools their heels while, you know, the team in the loser bracket or the player in the loser bracket gets hot, gets on a roll, and then they just step in and it's almost unfair. Um, statistically, I want to ask you guys before I, I tip my hand one way or the other, all right, and Mish, I'm going to throw you on the, on, on the hot seat first. How many times, percentage-wise, do you think we see double dips? Now, for let me let me lay the groundwork. 150 matches. I look. I'm sorry. Tournaments. I looked up 150 tournaments brackets from this weekend. All right. So it's current. It's fresh. Um, The vast majority of them came from the open. There was a couple conference tournaments. And then I filled in with regional tournaments. So 150 brackets. How many times did you do you think do you think we saw a double dip? Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts about this. So I'm so excited we're getting into this. Um, so I'm gonna <laughs> say I'm gonna say I'm gonna go 50% of the time we see a double dip. But I, I'm very curious about the stat of do this as the king seat win. So I'm wondering if you get into that later too. Right. I'm gonna say 50. Uh, uh, so in my turn, go ahead. Okay, so I like I just jumped in there like it's my turn now. Um, mostly because I had this thought that I just need to get out. So, a couple of things. One, if it's less than if it's 
okay, so we're saying there's a double dip. So if it happens more than 50% of the time, that's ludicrous. ludicrous. Like it doesn't make statistically that should not make any sense because you have to win two games. Now, if the question becomes, do they win the first game? That's a different conversation, right? I've, um, I've got, I've got, I've got all scenarios laid out. When you go to the championship, there's three results that can happen. The, you the win, you split, can you win lose. one. The king or queen seat can win game two, or the elimination bracket player can take the whole thing. So, so see, theoretically, in my mind, it has to be close to 33% um, that a double dip takes place. I'll probably skew it. So so mathematically, there's three options. <laughs> so mathematically, you got to sit at 33%. I'm going to skew it a little bit more towards, yes, a double dip takes place. So I'll sit at 40%, but I even think that might be a little bit high. Um and I want to make one more statement and I'll let Anthony go. The other <laughs> thing I would say is if we're looking at all tournaments, I would guess that the number is lower because if I go to my local blind draw or I go to a regional and I have one team that is genuinely better than everybody else there, they're never going to get double dipped. So, right. So that is going to lower my double dip percentage. Now at a pro event, when everybody at that level, the last five teams in a tournament are, quote, all equal skill level, then it becomes much more of who's hot and who's not. So I would guess the double dip percentage actually goes up because you have the team that's playing right then and there has the advantage. So those are my those are my statements. So I'm going 40 percent, Mike. All right. Anthony. Well, since since we're talking Queens, I think it's worthy mentioning Trey that I think Isabella heard you last last week. She heard your uncertainty, yes. yep, <laughs> and she did some work, right? I mean, she yep. went through Streaker, Belvin, Finley, Cassidy to take the Queen seat. Four of five of the top Lady Baggers from 2021. So a very impressive run for the young rookie pro, uh, Mike. You surprise me every time. My my gut was to go the same way Trey goes. I, I'm, I'm convinced that whatever I'm thinking is going to be wrong. So I'm actually going to go on the low side of 33. I'm going to go with like 30%. Okay. All right. Thank you for mentioning Bella, by the way. I We ran out of time. I didn't have a chance to talk about it. But yes, everything you just said. <laughs> All right. So so before I tell you the actual results, I want to tell you what my – because because I like how you guys went through the math, right? Um, I they put went through my own hypothesis. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I tried to just do statistics and, and numbers and, and have a guess as to what it was going to look like. So going into that first game, you you at least I would make the assumption that player number one, the player in the king or queen seat, is at least slightly better than the player that's in the elimination bracket. We all know that's not always true, but over the course of the large sample size, the better player is usually in the better position. So yeah, for that day, they're feeling it for that day. They're right. hot, for that moment. So I would assign 55% win percentage to the player that's sitting in the King seat, 45% win percentage in that first game to the person coming out of the loser's bracket. If the person coming out of the loser's bracket wins game one, in my mind, now they're perfectly even. They've both got one loss on the tournament and they're going to a winner take all. So now the other 45% of the time, I would hypothesize that they split that 45% down the middle. 
22 and a half and 22 and a half. So my hypothesis basically said 55% to game one to the king or queen seat winner. 22 and a half percent in game two to the king or queen seat winner, taking them to a total of 77 and a half percent. And then the elimination bracket player, 22 and a half percent. Now that's just sheer numbers. That doesn't take any variables into consideration. Now here's where the surprise comes in, guys. Your actual numbers, the king or queen seat, exactly in line with that hypothesis. Exactly. So what's the, so it's leaning lower. It's 22%. The actual stats, player one wins game one. Can your queen seat player wins game one 55.33% of the time? I had guessed 55. It was 55.33. Going to game two, this is crazy. 22% of the time, king or queen seat player wins that. Oh. I had said 22 and a half. So when you add those two percentages up, 55.33 and 22, you come to 77.33% as the number, as the percentage of times oh. that the, the champ comes from the winner bracket. Wow. So okay. So it's like so only happened 22.67% 22. of the time. My hypothesis at 22.5 and it came out to 22.67. Kind of so feels to the me numbers like add up for once. They make sense. Well, for once. They're right online. There's nothing weird about those numbers. Maybe in our mind, our perception doesn't yes. go along with that. But when you follow the math, the the results are coming out just like they're supposed to. So then just to close it out, what is that percentage then for the loser's bracket to get the two in a row? It's a total 22. of 22.67. Okay. Okay. Wow. That seems low. Like, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. It feels like the, the person in the king seat who gets cold, like it's a it's a bad place to be. But, I mean, that's how it feels. But, obviously, that's, it's absolutely not. Absolutely. If I was to give my emotional hypothesis before I did all this, I – I was running around telling people it wouldn't have surprised me if it was near 50% or even heaven forbid it, it wouldn't have shocked me if it was over 50% because that, right. I just feel like we see double dips a lot, but yeah. Uh, and and you know, when you think about it, when you go back to the statistical math, there's three, three options, the chance of, uh, of the three different game outcomes. If you split it and flipped a coin, it's 66% chance that yeah. it's you know that that you're gonna win all right so you can even round it case, up to 70 if that player is considered a better if you have to assume that player is a better player and actually now that i think about it i don't think that actually is the case if you give a 50 50 chance right on those two games in order for you to lose the 50 50 chance has to win both games so right Actually, just fundamentally, if it's a coin flip, completely even skill level, then math tells you 25% of the time the team coming through the loser's bracket is going to win, is gonna is only going to win 25% of the time. It's so, amazing how numbers add up, Trey, isn't it? Like, Yeah, so, it's, so you're telling me it's a up. little less than that, which, yeah, so... 
Interesting. That is a so really that can interesting. Explained by the better players, the one usually sitting in the in the king or queen seat. Yeah. So this definitely. whole thing about you know the better player got cold, the other players hot. It certainly feels true. I, I, yeah. I I've said it. Uh, certainly feels true. But when you look at it over a large sample size, that it, it just does not pan out. Wild. So circling back to women's singles, so Cheyenne kind of defied the stats, right? She took that loss to, sure to Peters, <laughs> came all the way back, double dip. She was in that 20, 20 whatever percent. Yeah, there, there's got to be a better impressive. word for double dip. I mean, she was so hot. I don't know what you call it, but those were two heaping scoops. <laughs> <laughs> Just going to say, it makes it Cheyenne more impressive. Runner, which, by the way, is in my singles top 10, and yeah. I'm proud of that pick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, as good pick. She, as she should Real be. Well, yeah. you're right, Mike. You did take us down the rabbit hole. Uh, yes. So, it's like every week. Yeah, so I, I thought it was very interesting. Um, I had two thoughts going in. My emotional side. My emotional side was wrong. And then my, my fact-based numbers, which don't always pan out. Um, this time, man, I just couldn't believe it. I went back and looked at some of the, you know, some of the results just multiple times just to make sure. But when you start going, you know, going into brackets and pulling up the championship matches, time after time after time, you see, you know, the first player is winning game one. It's over. It's over. It's over. It's over. Crazy. That's wild. That's wild. Yeah. I love it. And <laughs> once again, as all of our heads spin, we will have to say goodbye, Mike, and jump into our next segment. But thank you for that, as always. All Thanks, right, Mike. guys. See you next week. Thanks, Mike. All right, so we go into our news around the league. We had our Mountain South Conference event number one. For advanced singles, we had Jerry Lockwood. And then for second place, we had Zachary Wagner. For advanced doubles, Wendy Selmeyer and Brandon Selmeyer. And in second place, Whitney Martinez and Jerry Lockwood. So any thoughts about that Mountain South Conference? I'm well, sure this you is your, it's your say, conference, Anthony, Anthony right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> teach us, teach us. Yeah, so I guess I guess initial thoughts is uh, and not to take anything away from those winners. I mean, hey, they got it. It, it was a it was a pretty weak showing for that conference. So that actually sits in Utah. Um, the travel, so the meat, the meat of the talent for that division is in Colorado. That is that is by far the meat. Now there's there's some good, decent, just kind of one off, two off players outside of Colorado, but the meat is in Colorado. So that travel from Colorado to Utah, you got to go up over the Rockies. I, I don't know what what prevented uh, you know the attendance, but it was definitely a week, a week showing. We definitely didn't see the best players in attendance. Um, but yeah, big win. I know Jerry. He was he was just a comp player, um, you know, not less than a year ago uh, at our state championship. He was he was a comp player. He ended up winning comp. So big win for him. Um, yeah, we definitely like to see that that talent kind of start to show up more at these mountain conferences or excuse me, these Mountain South conferences, but that, that's just kind of my overall analysis there. Congratulations to those winners. Anthony, who's the best player in the Mountain South? Best player in the Mountain South is he's actually a non-pro. His name is Paul Alexander. Um, and then right behind him would be a Gino DeLisa, who's a rookie pro you, I was, this year. I, I thought you were going to say Gino or, or Tay. Yeah. It, it, so Tay is, Tay is interesting. Um, he absolutely shows up when we go to travel level tournaments, nationals, worlds, even getting outside of Colorado, but for some reason, um, you know, when we get in our state and we're local and we're hanging out with the guys and we're doing regionals and things like that, he, he doesn't perform as well, but he is absolutely fire on the road. So he's a big game player. 
He's a yeah. big game player. Yeah. Interesting. That's, I like to say it about my game too. Like I miss easy shots, but make important shots. <laughs> it's like, Hey, there, there's, an, there's an art to that. There's, people get paid yeah. to do that. <laughs> I'm a closer. That's when yeah. they got pinch hitters in baseball. No, pinch yeah. hitters in baseball that's, are paid to be good. That's the whole problem. That's you're right. That's it. Yeah. I'm just if they had a pinch, hitter. if they had a pinch hitter in cornhole, uh, Michelle, that'd be all you. Okay. I don't know. That's a, don't make that a hot take. That's a little, <laughs> that's a little much. Uh, going into the Great Lakes Conference, we have in advanced singles, first place, Tom Gustafson, and second, Ryan Windsor. And for doubles, Mark Mark Richards, Philip Lopez, and then in second place, Windsor and Herrera. No shock there. Uh, any thoughts about the Great Lakes Conference, Trey? Two things. Um, you know, one, Tom Gustafson, wow. Um, you know, that's kind of a shock to me to beat Windsor in the finals. I did look at the statistics for the match, and – Windsor kind of fell off in the finals in comparison to how he had played all day. I still think Windsor's the best player in that conference. Um, second, how about Mark Richards and Phil Lopez? Because not only did they beat Ryan Windsor and Azidra Herrera, they put Jordan Power and Jay Rubin into the loser's bracket. Really? Yes. Wow. Because they knocked him into the loser's bracket, and then Jay Rubin and Jordan Power tried to come back through the loser's bracket and lost to – Windsor and Herrera in the losers bracket final. Okay. So that's how that's why you don't see Power or Ruben in the top 2 there. Yeah, so, that actually is surprising. Um that was the one team that kind of shocked me a little bit but you know Dave Morse told me he said straight he texted me before the event started and he says watch Ryan Windsor won't even finish top 3 at this conference. And that wasn't a knock on Ryan Windsor. I will preface that. It was more of, hey, our conference is so stacked that arguably the best player in the world may not finish top three. And I said, I hear what you're saying, but he's still going to finish top three. Hey, <laughs> hey, Dave, he still finished top three, but I still, I still respect the conference. <laughs> in case you didn't notice. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. We have a new segment, Overreaction Monday. Uh, we came off of like this incredible conference, so we got to jump into some overreactions here. All right, number one, Alex Hicks jumps into a top five favorite in pro singles this season. Overreaction? Right on point? What do we think? That's Let a good overreaction. I want, I want to go there. I want to overreact <laughs> right now. Is that allowed? So you've been yeah. having that overreaction since jump, so that's nothing new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, top five is so hard to say yes to, right? So you're telling me on average – He's going to do better than Matt Guy, and he's going to do better than Ryan Windsor, and he's going to Trey do better Birchfield. than Trey Birchfield, and he's going to do better than Cheyenne Renner, and he's going to do better than you know all the Jordan Power and Josh Holland, Josh Holland and, yep. Tanner Halbert. Like, <laughs> I want, I would, I think I want to say yes, but I do think it's a. A little bit of an overreaction, just a little bit, just a little bit. Look, the kid was unbelievable. One of the best yeah, you performances. You got to see him ever. live, right, Trey? I mean, you, I think I saw you actually live at a lot of these. Did you? You got to saw him live? Oh yeah, I was sitting right there. I was first awesome. row for a lot of these matches, and so, you know, he was, he was special. But it's, it's one thing to be special on one day, right? And it's another. It'd be different if he won the advanced singles world championship and then he won this. Like, uh, what I'm trying to say is, in order to be, if he wants to go from the baby goat to the goat 
or, yeah. or you know, or, or baby goat to a top five player in the world. He's got to continuously show that he's a top five player, not just a one off. I think he's got the talent. We'll just see if he if he has longevity. I'm gonna say it's a little bit of an overreaction. Anthony said it's not. Anthony's buying it. Dead on. <laughs> Dead on. <laughs> we got uh, Cheyenne is on a level by herself on the female side of the game. This not one hurts. an overreaction. Not I, an overreaction. I know it hurts me to say it. I. It. I I don't want it to be true right now, but I mean, it really is. Yeah. It'd be different if someone was consistently beating her if they were, but it just feels like every time we talk about this, it's, is somebody going to beat Cheyenne Renner today? It was Cameron Belvin, you know, yesterday it was, or this Friday, it was Allison Peters. Like somebody beat them, but like, but it's just her and always who's going to fill in the besides her. Right. I mean, She won the Pro Shootout Championship. She played Sam Finley. She won the World Championship in women's singles. She played Connie Altice. Like she won the or, or came in second in the doubles world championship. I mean, at least Rosie and Sam. Sam was a repeat there, but I think she's by herself. Yeah, but what's what's extra what's even extra extraordinary is throw out just the women's division. Just talk about the open division and everybody in one pot. I mean. She's arguably one of the best players in that pool of players. So, so yeah, exactly. Yeah, not an overreaction. Exactly. All right. Greg Geary and Jimmy McGuffin will have the same level of success as 2020. You go first, Anthony. All right. I feel like that's an overreaction. I'm glad to hear what you what you saw uh, in the health with McGuffin. Um, huge fans of this team. I've actually watched them play a lot of matches live. Um yeah, I think it would be a bit of an overreaction at this point, but uh, certainly hope hope they they make make a decent run. Yeah, I I think if they played like they played this weekend, they're a top ten team. But they in order to match twenty twenty, they have to be the team of the year. Yeah, which I, I don't I, I don't see regardless if Jimmy McGuffin is healthy plus ten percent. So uh, I'll say it's a little bit of an overreaction, but uh, just glad to see Jimmy back. How did they look, Trey? How did they look with these new bags? Because they've been game changer guys forever, and I think they were throwing um, pro snipers or something like that. How did they? Yeah, look? they were throwing snipers, and they were they were still pretty good. They were still pretty good with snipers. Um, yeah. I didn't see any significant difference in between what I saw previous years and and this weekend. Bags didn't seem to be a factor. Okay. All right, Matt guy is cursed in singles on the main stage. <laughs> Like the bags don't like him on the main stage, it seems like, or at least one or two rounds. I, you know what? If it means I'm not blaming his skill, I'll say, I'll, I'm going to say that's true. He's, he's got a curse. There's no other explanation. Somebody's got some voodoo on this guy and they're cashing it in right now because there is no explanation. Matt guy has not won a main, a national singles event. Uh, is since joining the ACL. Now he did win the open, but it just feels like when it gets to huge, right? That first open in 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 Chicago wasn't nearly as stacked as Cincinnati or or in Virginia Beach. I would argue though he played better in Virginia Beach and Cincinnati than when he won the when when he won the one in Chicago. So it just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so true. Yeah, we're we're seeing it happen a couple different ways. I mean, he he was throwing like an eleven plus PPR in last open, then gets to the finals, and then suddenly throws a nine. Like what mm-hmm. what happened there? There's your curse. And then he comes out this open, maintaining that eleven PPR, and then runs into a you know a Hicks who's just fire. 
Yeah, he's 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 a bit cursed. I'm gonna go with look, that. Look one. back at the shootout, the shootout singles in like uh where it was it um in Iowa where Kevin Biller hit 38 out of 40 yes. bags in one match, yes. and Matt Guy threw like 36 in a row or something like that. It was like, how does this guy keep losing? Biller he's, careered he's, it at the right time. Yeah, yeah, he's cursed. That's a good call. He is cursed. <laughs> well, let's not call it a curse anymore. Let's say it's going to be lifted. It was. A, let's call it past tense, okay? He was cursed. No longer. All right, last one. There you go, Matt Guy. You're welcome. Trevor Brooks versus the Gore brothers is a major rivalry in the future. That that's major already ruined. Stretch. Did you guys see? Did you guys see the match? No, I, I haven't seen the match, it. but I've heard about it. Oh yeah, it was chirp, chirp, yes. chirp, chirp, chirp. <laughs> I mean, those I have never seen as like I've seen Cody Anderson games. I've seen Adam Hister yes. games. There was more trash talk in that game than really? I have wow. ever seen. I mean, those two just going back and forth, and it. Uh, let's say it just didn't end amicably. It didn't so end I mean, well. there's. It, the thing is, their talent level has to continue to be at a high level for it to be deemed a rivalry, right? People have to care about it. People yeah. have to see it continuously for it to be a legitimate rivalry. But uh, it was certainly fun to watch. I'll say that much. So I'll be, say it's an overreaction just because I think they both need to be elite talents in order for it to really matter. Okay, fair enough. But wouldn't that be an interesting stat? Like, does the trash talking work? Does it make people play worse? Does it lower their <laughs> PPR? <laughs> is this actually helpful or not? Or is it just entertaining? Well, I, was, I was saying this to the person next to me. It was the Gore brothers were unbelievable that entire day, right? And they had a big comeback when they played James Baldwin. They lost to James Baldwin and Cheyenne Renner. But ultimately, when they lost the game in which they got beat the worst by far was that game against Trevor Brooks in Berkeley Pair. And that's because normally the Gore brothers, because they are 12 year olds. When they start chirping at somebody, that person kind of just takes it, right? Because it's like, all right, it's a 12-year-old, right? Yeah. For the first time ever, someone literally was chirping right back in their face, right? And so I think not what happened was they were not intimidated at all. But what I found that they were doing, it was almost like, I can't wait to throw this bag so I can say the next thing and have the <laughs> next piece of trash talk. And so their focus went uh-huh. away. Yeah. And so because of that, Trevor Brooks and Berkeley Pear won that game because they won the mental game. Because yeah. Trevor Brooks wins when he takes you out of that mental game. He doesn't care how you react. He wants you to react. Right. And when the Gore brothers reacted and because they were so mentally motivated, instead of being mentally focused, that's ultimately why they lost the game. That's a good point. There you go. All right. Let's talk about the teams. This coming up this weekend. I'm so excited. Our first ever draft. Let's uh, dive into this. We have it happening on December 10th from 7 to 10 Eastern. And then finishing up on December 11th at 10 a.m. Eastern, going all day. So I'll have the first four rounds on the 10th and then the, the 11 rounds on the next day. So what are we thinking? Are we all super amped about this? 
Super pumped. Super yeah. pumped for this one. Um, that was like really, really convincing, Trey. <laughs> no, I am. I, I'm, I'm really, really excited. I mean, it's just, I just can't wait to see the strategy and how these teams yeah. are assembled, right? Like, are we going to get chalk or is like, are we going to be like, it's going to be one of those things where, where someone like drafts someone and you like flip a couple pages and you're like, they took who? And you're like trying to see where in the draft order yeah. we kind of expected them to go. And so I saw a really good tweet before I let Anthony dive in a little bit. I saw a really good tweet by Cody Henderson, who was a captain. And I saw it this morning and he said, I I'm preparing for the draft. And one thing that I'm really focusing on who wants to play on Cody Henderson's team. And not everybody is going to answer yes to that question, sure. but I want people that are bought in that are passionate, have the same goals and same passion as I do to assemble my team, because I think that's ultimately what's going to make it successful. So for that reason, do we see Cody Henderson pass on a couple people that he thinks he might not have good team chemistry with? Like real quick question. Are they going to have like team shirts or hats? Like when they get drafted, like they hand them a shirt or a hat with their team name on it. Like, is this like regular? If draft? they were all there, Yes, but I mean, not all the all the pro players are going to be there, unfortunately. So um, maybe next year when it becomes bigger, everybody will have hats and everything. But every team <laughs> does there have their own team jersey. So there you um, go. They they will all have team jerseys for the season. I like it, Anthony. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, just what makes it so exciting is we we don't know what to expect. This is this is the new format. It's an entirely new concept i mean I, we're going to be we're going to be kind of watching this closely just from a what's going to happen standpoint and then next yeah. year we'll probably be able to speak historically but yeah i mean like trey said you've got all kinds of strategies from chemistry is important to me bag types are really important for some people we might see picks just based on you know similar bag types and similar game strategies brands are important we might see people picking based on you know what brands they support I mean, I can't imagine flipping a couple pages to go get a random pick. I mean, I think you stay on that page and then use your strategy or whatever concept you're doing. You're still picking from a, a select or an even talented level of, of field. I, I don't think you go too deep just to get something that fits your strategy. But, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm excited to see how it rolls out. Yeah, if you were a Captain Anthony, would you would you factor bag selection at all? Yeah, I mean, I would. I think, I think, like you said, if we, if you break, you almost want to not break the, at least the way I'm thinking. You don't want to really break it into ranks one through two fifty six. You almost want to break it into rounds. So then you're looking at a group of players that will probably play really similar, you know, uh, talent wise. And then from there, you look at bag types, chemistry, you know, relationships, things like that, and maybe pick based on a group of people, not necessarily just down the list of best possible pick. That's true. There's an energy component here, right? You, the more cohesive the team, I think the better you're going to see play, even if it isn't the obvious pick, but it seems like it's going to be more like a family dynamic. I imagine that plays out in ways that you can't describe necessarily with stats, but it's sort of an energetic component that I could see would weigh into it. I got to give this one shout out to, and, and he's going to, he's going to appreciate this. I talked to Whitney's husband, Bobby this weekend. And he okay. said, one thing that I'm really liking about this team's format is so when you go to a national now or you go to an open or whatever, besides the crowd, the players often find themselves confl conflicted to be able to root for certain players, right? If I sit down and imagine it's Trey Birchfield versus Matt Guy, if I root for Matt Guy, is Trey Birchfield going to give me an evil look? 
Sure. Does this give an opportunity to see some alliances, to see some rooting, to see some energy, even if it's singles, right? Do I root for Trey Birchfield now openly? Am I cheering right. for him openly because he's on my team, right? Does that so. give me an excuse to bring some additional energy that previously I may not have? I think, I think so. I think it's a great point. And I'm excited for that component because I think that's what's missing is – when you have these individual players, it's like, who do I root for? Like NFL, you yeah. know, like I said, you live in this city, you're probably going to go for that team and that player. And, or you can even follow a player and they go to a different city and be like, well, I like that player because they used to be part of this team and I love that team and that player. But I think this is going to be super fun for the sport. I'm excited. All right. Holy hot takes. You got yours Holy ready, Trey? Yeah, Because I'm you said ready. that last, last, week, last week's was a little bit, you know, not so good. Thanks a lot, Jason. So what do we got? Yeah. <laughs> All right. We have a singles final four at a national this year with a combined age of 80 or less. So that means if you add 20 years old, 20, 20 years old, 20 yeah. years old, 20 years old, you get to 80. Okay. So we have less than 80. We I like have that. I like that. All right. <laughs> what do you got, Anthony? All right, so uh, Trey, think female bagger out of the West, someone off radar nationally that I think breaks out as the number one lady bagger out of the West. What are your thoughts? Who do you think that? Give me an, anybody. Whitney Martinez. Good pick. That's where I thought you would go. I'm thinking Tegan Owens. Yeah, I mean, yeah that's a good one too. That's yeah. a good impressive one. maturity in her dirty bag yeah. skill set. I mean, watch out for Tegan Owens. I think so. My hot take would be as. A number one female bagger out of the West this season is going to be Tegan Owens. All right. And mine is, I think, just like Cameron Belvin sort of broke that glass ceiling for women when she won with Noah Wooten, we see something similar with Alex Hicks. We see kids getting the podium more often, whether it's in a big event or small events. Kids are coming. Kids are coming. I love it. That's all we got. We'll see you guys next time. See you.